Designcast Podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators. Hello and welcome to Designcast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. It was such an honor to speak to Dr. Marcy Klein for this episode of DesignCast. Marcy is a pediatrician, artist, designer, and entrepreneur. Along with her two children, Marcy has been building a hands-on project-based organization. Three Ducks Design started on the family kitchen table and has grown into an international educational resource company. The story that Marcy tells about the different points in time that define the company are really inspiring. I'm sure you are going to love to hear her point of view, all about how she has worked to work through the design thinking process while being a pediatrician and a mom. I'm confident you will enjoy our discussion. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Marcy Klein. podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com now let's get on to the episode Welcome back to another episode of Design Cast, and I am really, really excited to have Dr. Marcy Klein with me today. Thanks for having me. I am really intrigued about your story, and so I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into it. Marcy, if you don't mind telling everyone sort of your background and the very unique way that you came into being part of sort of the STEM or STEAM world. Yeah, sure. I'll try to. I tend to ramble on a bit, so I'll try to stay focus to topic, but feel free to interrupt me if I go off on a tangent. But I'm actually a pediatrician. I did my training about 
goodness, almost 30 years ago and was a community pediatrician and an academic pediatrician for many years. I actually transitioned into education about three years ago because of my own kids. My daughter, when she was in high school, took an architecture class one summer and she fell in love with what we now know is the concept of design thinking. What she really loved about architecture is how that as a discipline connects the math and the sciences and the engineering engineering concepts with the arts, but also with humanity and the environment all together in one discipline. And she felt that if she had experienced architecture as a little kid, she would have been much more engaged in some of the more hard sciences like engineering and math. So she felt that that was something that kids should learn at an early age. And when she and her brother were little, they used to play with cardboard forts, make little mini models and elevators and ramps and, you know, little worlds for their little toys and characters. And architecture reminded her of those memories. And she and her brother decided to develop an architecture set, but using the thing that kids love to play with most, which is the cardboard box. So that was the beginning of the product that we now sell. And me as a pediatrician and a mom thought, wow, this is like a cute little business idea for them. Wouldn't it be cute if they had a little booth at the farmer's market and started a business? And they did that. And lo and behold, everybody loved it. They were 3D printing their connectors one at a time. And it was, it just scaled on its own. Parents were loving it. Kids were loving it. Teachers were obsessed with it. They wanted hundreds of connectors. The company basically took off starting at a farmer's market. And I jumped on board pretty early on when I saw the educational value of it, watching children just with my pediatrician eyes play with the product and watching parents interact with their children at the booth. There were no phones being used. There was no iPads. Like they were all on the floor, on the pavement. While the kids were at their little Ikea tables building, moms and dads were sitting down there building with the kids. It was just an amazing thing to sit back and watch. And I realized my kids actually had something really cool that needed to be out there and developed. So that's when I transitioned into education and have been helping them grow the company and writing content lesson plans so that kids at home and in school can use it. That is awesome. And I'm really excited to hear more about that. And you mentioned looking at things with your pediatrician eyes. How do you think it's different for you looking at it from an understanding of how children develop? Yeah, and there's so many levels. I mean, for starters, I mean, I've been a pediatrician for enough years to know what life was like before the iPhone and the iPad. A couple of things have happened since everything has gone digital. Number one, kids' hand dexterity has decreased. They come into kindergarten not knowing how to write as well as they did 20 years ago. So from one perspective, just the pure fine motor, gross motor skills, I think the, the product watching kids using the product and really trying to manipulate the materials was one level. Another thing that I found, not as much as a pediatrician, but more as a parent experiencing kids in, in school systems. And my kids went to mostly public, but a little bit of private as well. There's a lack of creativity. There are rules, there's instructions, there's always right and wrong. 
And there's really no room for a kid to really develop their own creativity and their own voice. And with our product, what we have no instructions. That's like the first thing parents are asking, where are the instructions? And I'm like, look at your kid at the table. They've already built something. That's Those are the instructions. They're in their head. So it's a, it's a shifted mindset. And I think it's really important, especially nowadays, everybody's talking about 21st century skills and we don't know what the jobs of the future will be and we really need creativity. These are the skills that kids need. I'm not saying that they don't get them in school, but with all of the standardized testing, they're really pigeonholed into, they're conformed. They're not, it's not encouraged that they expand their creativity. So I think that's, as a parent side, going through the education system, something that I found very unique. But from a developmental perspective, what kids really need is to feel success, to feel proud of what they're doing, and to be able to communicate what they're doing. So using not just our product, but also the open-ended learning programs that we've developed, it really gives a chance for every single child using the product to feel success and to feel proud of what they did, which doesn't always happen when subjects are siloed in school. So if you're in math and you're not a math student, kids get deflated and they, they feel like a failure. And then same thing for the kids that are good at math, but they're in English class and they're not so good at English. Same thing. So we really focus on a very holistic and authentic learning experience where every kid can kind of, they call it student-centered. You can call it what you want, but they, there's areas within our curriculum for every child to feel success. And there's never anything wrong about anything a kid builds with our products. It's really neat. I've, I've had a look at your, your website and it's really, really just such a, a great idea. Keeping things really clean and minimal, I think is fantastic, you know, that you guys have done that. And so at the moment, what are your, what are your children doing? Are they just running this completely? Or are they in college? You know, what is, what's going on with your, your kids? At the yeah, it's on a day of the week at school. So one is a junior in college and she, right now she's, she's a glutton for punishment. So she's in the business school at Washington University in St. Louis, and she's majoring in entrepreneurship in the business school, but she's also my in architecture, but she also loves working directly with kids and has taken some education classes, but also does 3 ducks projects and programs as much as she can with, you know, well, last year before COVID, it was with kids in the community through some of the local nonprofits and maker spaces. Now she's done them on Zoom. We have other high school students that she coaches as well that do Zoom projects with kids, you know, in in the community, not through schools necessarily. She also is our competition girl. Actually, both kids are. So she does a lot of college level entrepreneurship, pitch competitions, grants and stuff like that. So she'll apply for a competition and she'll do a pitch. And sometimes she wins and sometimes she doesn't, but they're all good experiences for her. So she does a lot of that. I guess we call it fundraising, but we're not like officially fundraising, but it's just a great experience for her as an entrepreneur to be able to really pitch to judges in a competitive way, what she does, what she's doing and where she wants to go with the company. Her little brother, unfortunately, is a senior in high school. He was the one who originally did the 3D printed design for the connectors. My daughter did them on paper. He actually converted that to CAD and 3D printed them for the first nine months of our existence. But we do, we're scaling. Um, So we started out completely mom and pop in our dining room. 
And we now have a factory and we do our own die cutting of cardboard, our own packaging. So we get most of our materials in raw and then we do the packaging. So he pretty much runs the show at the factory, which was hard during COVID because it was like him and his best friends doing all the packaging. But, you know, we have a big enough space where we can safely put different people in different locations. And we now have three employees, essentially, that he helps navigate through packaging and shipping, which will fall on me next year when he goes to Northeastern. As parents do, right? They pick up. Well, the deal is we're going to hire somebody, probably a college student and have them, you know, work probably part time and we'll train them over the summer. Mm -hmm. So they'll become the next Ethan. Well, Ethan's a freshman and he'll be engineering next year. So I think we probably won't hear from him at three ducks for at least one (laughs) one semester (laughs) until he gets um, adjusted to what it's like to be an engineering student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty intense. It, it sounds like that they both have a lot of creativity. And I was going to ask you, it sounded like you were, you started out in a really craft business type situation, you know, where you were making things yourself. And so you say you have a factory now. What? How did that all kind of come about? Yeah, so, you know, so it preceded Three Ducks a little bit. I have a creative outlet myself. And as a pediatrician, I loved what I did, but there wasn't much room for art and creativity in there. Uh, well, creativity, yes, but in a different way. <laughs> and um, so I had actually opened, I got a little workshop in a town neighboring our town in Bridgeport, Connecticut, in a flexible space. And I started making furniture. So we had some machinery, including for any of those STEM people out there, a CNC router, which I used to cut wood. So when we started 3Ducks, we already had a place to package Although we 3D printed the connectors at home because nobody wanted to go to the factory every eight hours, literally, and switch out the 3D printers. So the connector manufacturing was literally in my dining room. But we cut the cardboard actually on the CNC router. And my husband and my son realized that if we switch out the router bit, which for all those people who aren't engineers and in STEM is like a round screw, sort of, like as it cuts through the cardboard, it leaves a big space, a big gap between pieces. And we wanted all the pieces to be like more of a puzzle. So they found a knife that fit in the router table. So it's now, it now cuts shapes exactly. So it looks more like a puzzle. And we did that for the first three months, but it took about 20 minutes to make each kit, literally, because each piece was cut out one at a time. So it was great for three months just to like prove our concept. And the reason why we did cutting cardboard, even though our product is designed to fit on every shipping box you could have in your home was because of the advantage from an academic and educational perspective, because now we make shapes that are exact geometry. Even if a four-year-old doesn't know that two, two and a half inch circles next to each other equals a five inch square in diameter or length, they'll know it by playing with the product. So we really wanted exact shapes for the students that go allow them to build extremely good structures without actually knowing the proportion side of it. And they learn scale and proportion by playing rather than by calculating it 
mathematically on a piece of paper. Are you guys still cutting the cardboard with the router or have you moved? No, make- um, but we use that for expos and making our boots. So we have our furniture. I still make furniture for the booths. But with like three months into the company, we, we needed to scale. We couldn't make enough products because of the time lag on the CNC router. So we invested in a used die cutter machine, which is like a ginormous pizza cutting you know, or pasta cutting machine, sort of cookie cutter, I would guess I would call it. So we buy a die for each one of our products and it you have to run it through twice because it's not big enough for one kit. But it cuts down from 20 minutes to about two minutes per kit, which still is not great manufacturing wise, but it got us through most of our kits. So we still do that for our retail kits. But once we started going into education, the sheer volume of cardboard that we want to give a classroom, even the die cutter literally doesn't cut it. So we we were able, I mean, for the first six months we did, and then like a grant from the Science Center of Iowa came in and it was like, wow, that'll take us a month, like eight hours a day in a non-air conditioned factory to do this. So that was when we scaled. Um, so the people that make our connectors are only 80 miles away from us. They actually make toys as well. So they they now make our classroom kits. So we'll get sheets pre-made. We get 10,000 at a time and we package them for school. So we still do the packaging, but we're no longer making our connectors. We get those at like 200,000 a pop and we get 10,000 sheets of cardboard. So now we're primarily a packaging facility, except for the retail kits. I mean, I'm listening to you thinking about my students that are entrepreneur-like. I mean, it's amazing for my kids. Like when you're in an entrepreneur class and like you're, it's all theoretical, which my son did like after he had already started Three Dots and like their job was to design a pen. Like they didn't even like do an injection mold quote. Like they had no idea how hard that is. Like, you, you know, to get somebody to like, be willing. Like, I mean, we were like so lucky that we got the manufacturer we did because the connector cost was like four times the price in a bunch of local ones. And then it just so happens that one of the biggest toy makers in the world is 80 miles from us. I called on a whim. I didn't know who they were. And they're like, do you know how big we are? We make Monopoly, but we love your story. And we want to show your kids the factory. So my kids, like, I mean, we got to this, like, I think it's like over a million square foot facility and they got a tour and like their names with three ducks design were all over it. And they got to watch, it was like a big giant real life, how it's made for my kids. And they got to see like all the manufacturing of all the games that they've ever played when they were little, which was so cool. And the company took a, I mean, they didn't take a gamble on us, but they had faith that we would scale. And it took nine months for us to be ready to get the connectors made by them after that initial visit. But it's just, I mean, the whole entrepreneurial journey for kids at all levels, from my kids having to do competitions and pitches and develop a PowerPoint presentation and understand how to do Photoshop and how to create a website and you know, we write lesson plans, so we kind of learn how to be teachers, you know, which I still find weird that they teach teachers because they do professional development sometimes. So that's just so cool. And like having to become an expert in their industry so that people believe in what they're doing, they have to learn 
new terminology every time they talk to somebody else. So that has been amazing. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you because you mentioned curriculum earlier and I was going to ask kind of what that process has been like. Have you had any, you know, partners or any consultants who were educationalists that, who have kind of helped you out or have you kind of learned a little bit at a time or kind of what's been that process? Yeah, so our earliest lessons were like me talking to parents, you know, because that's what I do best. You know, I didn't know like you need an objective at the beginning of a lesson plan or what I still don't really know what a rubric is or a the words that are used a lot, I'm like, I don't really know what they mean, but they're in there. So we started with like really mom and pop lesson plans. And they're not really lesson plans. They're, I call them design challenges. They're super open-ended. You know, there's a theme behind them, like design a landmark. Well, that's one of our academic ones. But the tiny house challenge is one of the favorite because every kid likes to make tiny houses. So it started very basic, really more conceptual and open-ended. But to get into schools, obviously, we needed to hit those, you know, those standard aligned content. So basically, as we would work with a school, that educator in charge would help me kind of fine-tune the lesson plan and get it into shape so that it fit into their curriculum at different age groups. So it's taken like two years of help from our fans and our customers, the teachers who have really helped. Like they see the value in the product enough that it's worth just tweaking the lesson plans that I created so that they could use them in the classroom. So, I mean, a lot of it's just been through support and collaboration with the teachers that we work with. But over the three years, I've, you know, I've learned some skills too on how to write curriculum. So they're still very unique because they're still coming from a parent and a pediatrician and a product designer's eyes rather than a teacher with formal educator training. So they're, they're definitely a different take, very heavy project-based learning. And I don't call it student-centered learning. What we create is community-centered learning. All of our lesson plans and curriculum are based on urban planning and architecture and designing a better world. So it's really not about designing the world for humans. It's about designing, reimagining what the world would be like for everyone in the community, including the animals and the natural resources and the geography of the land. So it's really, it's really much, what we create in terms of content is more like what kids are going to do when they're in the real world. There's an engineer in our curriculum. There's an architect. There's an artist. There's a marketer. There's somebody that works at the downtown business development center because everything that needs to be in a real community, the kids are going to be building with our curriculum as they develop a cardboard city. Very cool. I really like what you're what you're saying. I'm sold. <laughs> That's really great. And you know, you mentioned design thinking earlier, and one of the the really big principles of that is that when you're solving a problem, you get as many voices around the table as you can. So you mentioned about having all these different inputs, you know, into the way you plan out these activities and these learning possibilities. So I think you're actually living out the design thinking protocol or process while you're doing this, which is great for you to be part of, for your kids to see. It's really exciting. And so where do you, where do you see this going? What would you like for three ducks to, to be doing, you know, what would you like to see happen in the next five to 10 to 20 years? Yeah. So let's see, it wasn't this last summer during COVID, but the summer before my daughter was home from college and we launched 
the very beginning pilots of our global initiative, which aims to take this creating this community building or city building, like literally the kids are literally building a cardboard city. That's the curriculum. Although there's a lot of extensions with engineering, math, and all the other subjects, next generation science in there. But every community is going to look completely different based on where kids live. And an important part, we feel, of the whole process is empowering, and this is like comes with the pediatrician had, is empowering kids. And it's hard for them to be empowered. Well, I mean, it's not hard for them to be empowered to showcase and share their community with their parents and their teacher. But how much more empowering would it be for them to share that community that they built with the whole world and have a sharing of ideas and let kids, we have kids working in Kenya and Uzbekistan and Thailand and Singapore and Australia. They're all building communities based on the culture and the challenges that they have in their community. But there's so much overlap between challenges all around the world. And we want kids to share that. So we want kids in one part of the world who feel like they're not lucky because of where they live to feel lucky for other reasons that they live there that people somewhere else don't have. So there's amazing things about every community and there are challenges in every community and showcasing those and sharing them and having a voice is where we're going next. So right now we're working on a web-based version of that. So we have a student showcase on our website with pins and students that complete their project and create a presentation, which is multimedia and completely open. So they have creative writing in there. There's photographs. They have video content sharing their projects are all loaded on a web page on our site. So other students around the world can see what it's like to be in Benin, you know, which is a country I hadn't heard of before we got product there. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of little kids haven't heard of it either. So that's where we are in the next year to two. And actually, believe it or not, COVID has actually helped that because it is allowed, it has forced us to create more online sharing content. But ultimately, we aim to work with universities and organizations around the world where we can present live showcases, which is unlike some of the competitions like the robot competitions and the all these competitions, ours is going to be more of a celebration of humanity and community and life. So students from around the world hopefully will all congregate and bring their projects and showcase them at expos, hoping hopefully they'll be in universities and we'll get buy-in from universities and host the showcases. And kids can physically be there and show what they've created and share it with other people. Well, that is a very ambitious plan, but it sounds to me like you ambitious. guys have a great you know, roadmap to do that. And yeah. I am really, really excited to hear how this continues to unfold. I was going to ask you, you know, if you're able to get your kits and your information out, you know, globally, but it sounds like that's happening. Well, we now have distributors on three continents, including ours. So, but we have, you know, we sell products, we ship products around the world, but we do have, we're, we're starting to get more international distributors. But that's like a whole nother chapter in entrepreneurship that no no student should ever have to deal with. The complexities of international trade is not something I learned in medical school. Now, I was <laughs> going to say, logistics is something that uh, is a field that I think w no one would ever would have thought would would be as complex as it is. Yeah, just, I mean, the child, like just the, you know, it's a children's product, so there's child safety and, you know, all of that. 
you know, the testing standards are extremely similar, but there's always like one thing that's different that makes you have to get testing done and figuring out, you know, and you ask them like, well, what are the standards in Australia? They give you like a 72 page document of all the standards. And it's like, okay, so which one of these is different than the US standards? And like, you would think that like you could Google that, but you can't. I don't think they try to make it easy. (laughs) I I agree. And then you have to pay somebody to like, just decipher what the heck it means not get the testing done so but it yeah i mean i guess those barriers to entry are are good to protect us from competition yeah it's definitely not fun but but necessary it is necessary and i i think that these are the kind of things these are the hidden curriculum i guess you could call it (laughs) the things that you did not expect were there that you're really spending a lot of time doing and i think entrepreneurs who've never done that kind of thing before often find those kinds of things and go wow i had no idea there'd be this much whatever involved in what i'm doing so what a great real world experience for your kids as well you know to to experience that and do you think that they will always be involved in the company i don't know i think so right now they say they want to my daughter you know she's taking entrepreneurship she she does want to work at another company for a few years. She doesn't know where, but just because she's never, you know, she's always been a boss or a partner. She's never been an employee and she feels it's really important to take on all roles and understand. I mean, that's the design thinking empathy. Like it's it's hard to be a good leader if you've never been led before. So she wants to experience that a little bit and then come back to be able to run the company. And my son, you know, we don't know where he'll fit in. He's doing engineering right now in college. I think he'll be in sales though. Like at the farmer's market, I would talk a mile a minute trying to get like, you know, $125 kit sold. And he like literally put his feet up on the table with his iPhone in his hand and like he'd make more sales than anybody else. (laughs) People just gravitate to him. And as soon as they heard that it's his product and he designed it. You know, what a neat family bonding experience as well. Super cool. Marge, this is so cool. I'm really enjoying hearing this and I'm I'm thinking about how I can make my own children entrepreneurs through this and experience this. So thank you for sharing that. That's one of our side quests. That's one of our side jobs that we're working on now is developing Actually, in parallel, we're developing a curriculum for entrepreneurship for kids, which I can't tell you too much about, but they'll get their own toys and potentially bring them to market. For teens, we've had such an amazing experience through COVID with teens mentoring youth remotely using our lesson plans and our product that we're right now building out a curriculum for an entrepreneurship for social good curriculum for teens where they will have an opportunity to become mentors and build a business around mentorship using products. I can tell you that folks listening will be super interested in hearing about about that more. And so, Marcy, how can people find out more about the company and and get in touch with you if they want to know more? Yeah. So, I mean, our website is the easiest way because all contacts lead to the three founders, me and my two kids. So it's www.3ducksdesign.com. It's the number three, D-U-X-D-E-S-I-G-N. 
com, but you can always reach out to me info at or marcy at Redux design. Thank you. And I will be sure to include that, of course, in the show notes. So anyone listening who wants to just click and go, I will have that available for them to, to do that. And so yeah, this is yeah. so, so cool. I am so excited to have connected with you and thank you for accepting a, a time to chat with me. This is so exciting. And I would love to maybe talk to you a year or two out to hear kind of how things have grown since after the sort of post-pandemic world starts to emerge. I would really love to kind of catch up with you and maybe even have your kids join us if they're still wanting, you know, to be part of this. That would be really super cool. But thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time day to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always fun to share this story. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. I am so excited to announce the launch of a new podcast network called DNA Podcast Network. The Design Network Alliance, or DNA, was founded by Evo Hanan and myself as a result of DesignCast number 16. We talked all about the need to connect design educators globally. DNA is a collective group of like-minded design educators from around the world. We have one simple mission, to connect design and STEAM educators with each other and with designers that want to make a difference in design education to make it better for future generations. The DNA Podcast Network is a hub for podcasts that cover the topics around design, design and technology, design thinking, STEAM, and STEM education. If you are interested in hearing more great content, head over to www.dnapodcastnetwork.ga today. Click on the thumbnail of the podcast that you want to hear and enjoy. If you have any other podcasts that you enjoy that cover similar topics, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know so that I can look at adding them to the network. Finally, spread the word. Share with your network and your PLN and use the hashtag DNA Podcast Network.